The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 4 of Retail Therapy, proudly brought to you by American Express. This season, we'll be focusing on tech and innovation within the retail sector. We'll be talking to retailers who are utilising new and transformative technologies to support their business, as well as deep dive into the stories of startups who are taking the lead on retail innovation. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, and welcome to Retail Therapy. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by two successful entrepreneurs whose businesses are having a powerful impact on retail. Firstly, I'm joined by Andrew Butt, founder and CEO of Enable. Enable is a software as a service platform helping solve challenges in the supply chain space. We're also speaking to Shobit Shukla, who is the president of NIR, a business that provides important data intelligence to retailers on people and places. NIR also went public at the end of March this year and enlisted on the NASDAQ. Very interesting stuff happening at both Enable and NIR, and I'm looking forward to speaking with Andrew and Shobit in this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. Now, let's set the scene for our listeners. What is Enable and what problem does it solve for retailers? So Enable is uh, software as a service, so uh, software that you access in a web browser, and it really helps retailers to manage all of the different incentive programs and rebate programs they have with suppliers and and really make those easy to understand and help them to drive kind of growth and drive sales within their business. So it means if you've got this software that there's less chance of human error and, and things being not claimed from suppliers. I, I guess that from a margin point of view has a massive impact. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's almost like a kind of optimistic side and a pessimistic side <laughs> to what we do. So I think you're right that making sure nothing is missing, there's no kind of revenue leakage or rebates being missed, you know, claiming everything that you're entitled to, That that's almost the pessimistic side that is important, of course, and as you say, makes a huge difference to margin. But I think the optimistic side is actually driving revenue as well and working collaboratively with suppliers. So rather than just saying we want as much as we can get from the suppliers, we want need to make all the margin, yes. it's actually about working together and driving driving profitability for both both sides. That's great, Andrew. I think most retailers always argue that they're looking to squeeze as much out of their suppliers, but it's good that it's mutually benefiting the way you've just described it. So that's a, yes. a great outcome. Tell me a little bit about yourself. What drew you to the supply chain industry? Did you always dream of being an entrepreneur? Sure. So I think I always wanted to run before I could walk and started to learn computer programming as a child, really, and launched my first business as a teenager building software applications. And what drew me to the supply chain is I met my co-founder, uh, and he was actually running what is now the largest distributor of health, beauty and household products in the UK. And that supplies all sorts of retailers, you know, a bit like your members. Some are, are quite kind of uh, small independent companies and others are much larger. And so him and I got got chatting and started to discover these challenges, these complex promotional agreements, incentive agreements, and really no modern software to manage those well. So this really ended up being the kind of software that we built, which just had a huge impact and uh, opportunity to build a large company. Well, congratulations on your achievement. That's amazing. I want to go a little bit deeper, if I can, to the supply chain. 
conversation. Now, supply chain challenges are complex, and they're one of the biggest pain points for retailers, as you would know. And I don't think any retailer would say no to more efficient goods management. Now, what would be a typical example of how a customer might see an improvement in their operations using your product? Whether you are a independent retailer with one location or a huge kind of network with tens of locations, both of those examples can get some benefits. And what it looks like is, first of all, setting up the different promotions, incentives and rebate programs that you have inside Enable. And that's very easy to do. And our team kind of helps with the lift of actually physically setting that up. And then we pull in transaction information. So for example, your purchases, your uh, kind of point of sale information, and calculate exactly what should be claimed, you know, what should be coming into you as the retailer. And in virtually every case, the system has found missing dollars. You know, there's, there's just no question about that. That's the beginning. But I think where it starts getting interesting is then looking at some modeling of how could you actually create even better incentives. And, and how can you get more out of the existing incentives, not, not just claiming what you're due, but actually directing buying and selling behavior to get more profitability. So really, the system sounds like it pays for itself fairly quickly because it's fighting all those lost dollars. That's right. And I think that's been a big key to our growth is that we can point this very easily and say, look, you know, if we just assume some very basic assumptions, and we've seen them so many times before, we've got lots of referenceability in case studies, then you're absolutely right right, Paul, the system kind of pays for itself in a couple of months, and then you've got a huge upside. And that has led to a big uptake of this software and some global growth. Oh, that's amazing innovation. Now, we at the ARA have a very diverse retail base. We go from fashion food to furniture, and we have a big component of small to medium-sized businesses. Is this type of software just for big business, or does it also cater for small to medium-sized businesses? It's absolutely for all sized businesses. When I started this, so originally I started this in the UK, and then kind of grew to the US and Canada and Europe. And, you know, we're very excited that Australia and, and New Zealand, in fact, are our, our most recent markets where we've opened up and got a great team there now. And I'm back and forwards regularly. When we started, we were kind of funding the business ourselves. And really, we were working with larger companies because, of course, there is a larger benefit that they receive if they're purchasing and selling more goods and we can kind of charge a higher price. And we had to because we had to pay the payroll. But a key reason that I raise venture capital is to really make this available to everyone. So today, you know, we literally have customers with a couple of million of uh, several million of revenue right up to those you know, national retailers with billions of revenue. And my whole kind of mission is to make this accessible and available and affordable to any retailer that has any types of, of kind of incentives in their supply chain. Amazing. Now, you speak, and I've heard you speak about the deal economy before. Can you explain what that is and how it impacts retail? What we see is different types of promotions, incentives, and deals, as in the deal economy, uh, really do drive behavior. And in fact, an anecdote I'd, I'd share is as I met a, a new customer the other day, and he was saying, discounts are quickly forgotten, but rebates are earned. And I, I did tell him I would steal that from him because the thing is, if you just if, if you just do discounting, then uh, it's, it's quite you can't actually drive behavior. Whereas with an incentive or a rebate, you can say, uh, look, you know, this is the price. 
but if you uh, mr retailer can can sell you know 10,000 units and achieve a certain product mix and whatever the the goals are of the of the manufacturer then we will write you this check and we'll actually pay you this significant incentive and you've actually got people working towards it so what we see in so many industries in so many countries is this deal economy where rather than just discounting there are kind of incentives around certain behaviors and it's actually aligning players in the supply chain a lot more than a discount ever could Mm. so that's really what we mean by the deal economy well i think most retailers are seeing today would actually are being very encouraged by that because generally retailers don't love discounting because they're often because they're giving margin away and i guess the way you've explained that uh, from a deal point of view the rebates uh, offer another option to drive gross margin improvements so it's a great um great system great outcome now i know in researching for this podcast enables only six years old and has seen tremendous growth in that short amount of time. You've got over 10,000 global customers, is that correct? And a team of four over 400 people? Uh, yes, yes. So, so we have 10,000 companies that use the platform and they use it in different levels. So some of them are uh, you know, what will typically happen is a retailer will buy the system and then they will or, or subscribe because it's, it's a subscription model. And then they will invite all of their suppliers to use it right. and say, this is now what we're using to manage all of our incentives. And this is where you need to submit your promotions, for example. And then many of those suppliers will then say, we want to use this with all of our other retailers. And then they become like a full tier customer as well. So mm. the 10,000 includes all of those as there's a mixture, but the, certainly the numbers are accurate. You know, the team are just at the beginning beginning of this year was 212 i think it was and we passed 400 in october so uh, it is it is certainly um, very very substantial growth and the fundraising you know i did not expect to be honest to be to be doing a series a b and c all within 2 years but it just shows the appetite in the market for yes. this type of system and and the investors are obviously very smart and they've recognized that as well and i understand the venture capital funding of more than 156 million dollars which is is quite phenomenal now you've clearly found a gap in the market to service. So within those six years, you almost half have been during the global pandemic. And how did the pandemic impact your business? What changed within the industry during this time? One key thing that changed is managing these promotions and incentives and rebates has typically been done in very basic kind of homemade systems. So literally Excel spreadsheets, homemade systems, and there's been a great dependency on a small number of individuals within the business. And a lot of those have systems have been on-premise as well. And so what the pandemic created was people that couldn't be in the business, people unfortunately that might be unwell, and and that dependency really came to the forefront. So that kind of has really driven companies to say, look, we need to have a much more structured, modern, automated approach to this compared to a few people using a few spreadsheets. And then also, I think, in hard times, uh, whether it's the pandemic or a recession, people are really obviously thinking about the bottom line, aren't they? So Mm. anything that can help to reduce leakage and drive margin and drive that bottom line have actually come up the agenda and and that's definitely helped us to kind of get more awareness and made our proposition more appealing wonderful now i I know you would agree with this startups can be a very important part of our innovation ecosystem within retail and as an established business you might describe yourself as a scale-up i guess the way we've just discussed the types of volumes that you're doing what opportunity do startups offer more traditional retailer businesses do you think and what advice would you offer to retailers in partnering with new 
and innovative businesses like yourself. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, that's kind of you to refer to us as a scale-up. I still think we're, you know, we're very early and we're still very much a startup, but uh, appreciate the sentiment there, Paul. I would say this is a real phenomenon. You know, it, it was, I think a book was written, wasn't it, called The Innovator's Dilemma, which is companies get large and then actually it's hard to kind of innovate and and do something completely new, yes. especially when you're successful because you keep doing the thing that has made you successful. So I do think startups that come in maybe with an element of naivety and ignorance and and just like a disrupting with a whole new way uh, have, have got something to offer. And, and, you know, cloud software and SaaS software, which is very low cost, potentially zero or low setup and, and then you can just test it out you can use it at a small scale do a proof of concept and the, the risk is very low and then where you find something that works it's very easy to scale and just go to a production rollout so i would definitely encourage retailers to try out you know different offerings from startups uh, try a few different things um, it, that they should make it virtually risk-free uh, certainly that's what we often do and and then you can you can just roll out the initiatives that work the best now, Andrew, we're having this podcast. I'm in Sydney. You're in San Francisco. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm currently in San Francisco. That is correct. Yes, you are. And now tell me a little bit about maybe about the San Francisco scene right now when it comes to tech and innovation. Yeah, I think San Francisco has always been somewhere quite special. I think Silicon Valley and the whole notion of Silicon Valley has changed in, in the last couple of years through the pandemic. And of course, now uh, so many people are remote and, and I don't think it has the same significance being in this geographical region than it may have had once before. But there's still something a bit a bit special about this place. And uh, I think that the sort of ecosystems and the talent and venture capital and so on, it's still got something to offer. I feel positive about it. Enable is certainly a global business and you know we're very excited about about Sydney, where um, we just opened our offices there literally in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we're also hot off the press, going to be opening in Melbourne as well, and, and we've got a team coming in there already. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, we are a global business and Australia is very important to us. Silicon Valley does have, you know, part of that kind of ecosystem which we're benefiting from and then hopefully spreading spreading across the globe. Oh, very exciting. Uh, the last question I'm going to ask you, Andrew, I think what's next for Enable? I mean, you've achieved so much in such a short time. Uh, and tell me, are there opportunities, do you think, to innovate further? Definitely opportunities to innovate further. I mean, I think when we when we kind of saw this need for a very focused and modern solution for incentive management for retailers, then a lot of people thought that was just very narrow. And they said, this seems interesting, but like really specific and quite small and not sure how big the market is and we proved very quickly the market is actually huge and i mean i can tell you even today i was speaking to a great retailer who was saying you know your product's great and we might well use it but actually there's all these other things that we really would be excited about that your product doesn't do <laughs> so uh, you know the fact is there's a lot more to do a lot more innovation to do we're going to remain focused and go deep within the space that we're in but there's lots of ideas of how we can improve it and i think in terms of what's next we are still early in our journey it's it's amazing that we've got so many customers that believe in us and get value from us and also investors that have invested significantly and also believe in us and clearly we have a big responsibility to those customers and investors to scale this a lot more and i would say i think we've grown about let me get this right. I think we've done 25x in four years. And I actually think we can do and will do another kind of 25x in the next four to five years. And that's when we start to get really big. And it's all about making an impact. You know, we want to get this technology in the hands of lots and lots of retailers and, and really help 
help them to drive their business and make life better for their users and their people as well. So there's a, there's a lot to do. Exciting times. Look, Andrew, we love what you do. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate the the time difference here and and taking your time out of your busy schedule. Congratulations on all your success at Enable and all the best for the future. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. Some interesting insights there from Andrew. Now, let's catch up with Shobit. Shobit, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, you've described your business as one of the world's largest sources of intelligence on peoples and places. What does that mean? And can you give us an overview of how NEAR is solving a problem for retailers? NEAR is is a data intelligence platform. And to put it very simply, what that means is we collect large volumes of data on people and really their behavior, both in the real world as well as in the digital world, because both these worlds are They're almost like parallel universes, but they're both equally important. You do a lot of things online. You obviously are living your your life uh, in the real world, but what you're doing online has a significant impact on your quality of life around you. So we capture data on how people are behaving both in the digital and the real world. In terms of scale, we are currently at close to about 1.6 billion user IDs, and and we look at their behavior across 70 million places uh, all over the world. And the way we put this data to use is if you understand consumers better, then that helps you engage with them better and that helps you drive outcomes for your organization. So if you're a retailer, and one of the things that, as we all know, has happened during COVID is is people went through a lot of changes in their day-to-day behavior because of the lockdowns and and so on. And it has shifted a, a good amount of behavior of people, particularly around consuming content or even buying things online because they couldn't go out. So they started adopting uh, digital as a means to drive fulfillment. And that has had direct implication for retailers, which means that they now need to not just think about people that are walking into the store, but also people who are not walking into their store, but they're able to engage with their brand online, either through the app or through website or through other social channels. And so it's, it's foundational to understand consumer behavior better, both not just in the real, the physical space, but also in the online world. And Nier as a company brings both of those things together. Really impressive. Now, I think we all know the importance of using data to inform business decisions. There are now so many data points a retailer can start to track. What are the most important marketing data points, in your opinion, and where should people start? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And and we have past few years, we have spent a lot of time thinking about it. And and honestly, when COVID happened, it turned a lot of these things on, on their head. Uh, a lot of our priors around what organizations, what retailers should think about, care about, a lot of those things changed. The way we think about today is that as a retailer, you're omnichannel. Most retailers are not just online. In fact, a lot of the offline, or rather not just offline, a lot of the online first retailers have also gone offline. They have created their physical stores because they realize that people, they are exploring and discovering online. They also want something tangible, which is where they want to potentially walk into a store and check out some of the products. So retailers are, are omni-channel. And it's, it's really important that you start to think about the consumers in terms of First of all, understanding what they're doing when they are in your environment. So when consumers are walking into your store or when they're on your e-commerce website or on the app, you need to be able to collect all of the data, particularly around what their intent is like, what kind of products are they interested in potentially buying, what are they actually buying. That's really important. That's what I would call as foundational. 
then you have to layer on additional data about what consumers are doing when they are not in your environment so when they walk out the door or when they close your app when they log out of your website where are they going what are they doing what what other brands are they engaging with what is their lifestyle like are they also going to competitor stores what distance they are traveling to get to your store that's a very important just as an example that's a really important aspect because that also highlights the uh, a sense of brand loyalty if people are willing to drive 5 miles 10 miles to come to your store that's a big plus but then that's something that you also need to keep in mind because what if you are able to bring your store closer to where they are would that lead to increased shopping behavior and engagement so there are a lot of those things that you need to think about but at high level it's the foundational stuff which is understanding and capturing data of what's happening in your environment in your store in your app in your website but then being able to layer that with partners such as near where we are able to give you a more 360 degree view of what people are doing how much where are they living what's their lifestyle like what other brands what are the retailers are they going to how frequently are they traveling because that then gives you a, a much more holistic that completes a picture if you will that completes the puzzle and that then helps you make or rather take far more uh, sophisticated complete business decisions absolutely fascinating and tell me do people use your data for decisions other than marketing that's a great question because when we started 10 years ago the primary use case for this kind of data was marketing and advertising as an industry it has always been at the forefront of of embracing technology and embracing data and and companies like google and facebook had really pushed the envelope uh, forward on that front so that's how we started but today there are a number of industries and categories where uh, you know retail is certainly one of them restaurants commercial real estate uh, tourism where customers are using our data to understand uh, and take broader business decisions which may not necessarily be related to marketing so as an example one of the common challenges that retailers face is where should we open our next store so mm-hmm. the classic site selection problem how should i arrive at the right location for my next store what are the stores which are not performing well and can i dive a little deeper into why the performance is not good is it because of the location itself where they are where the stores are is it because there's a competitor store that has opened up uh, it also helps you get a better sense of or get more compet- competitor intelligence so not just your store but being able to understand the people that are walking into your competitor stores where are they coming from how much time are they spending at those stores versus your store so there's a lot of yes if you think about the chief data officer organization the data analytics teams the whole movement around creating this function which most organizations today have which is focusing on data they are our customers and they are our partners because we help them understand their end consumers and even prospects who may not be their consumers yet we help them understand them a lot better and then we also help them use that information and intelligence to take smarter decisions now shab at the pandemic saw retailers introduce new digital solutions quickly to leverage online sales and now rather than talking about online or in store simply focusing on omnichannel retail is the standard how can data analytics support the omnichannel customer journey what do you think are the opportunities Yeah that's actually when we talked to a lot of retailers today at the time when they had to make a lot of these investments it felt like a burden but in hindsight i think when you speak to retailers today you you'll you'll find that most of them are in unison ag- agreeing that that has been a big blessing and the reason why that change and that shift of from offline to omnichannel is is such a 
such a big opportunity for retailers and and such a uh, such a potentially such a blessing for cons- the end consumers is because this finally helps us arrive at a place where you can get a unified view of the consumer you know this promise that we've had for many years you need to have a single view of the consumer now more than ever that's that's become very foundational and very important so it all really begins with for any omni channel retailer it really begins with having a unified consumer view and what i mean by that is when when i walk into a physical store and i swipe my credit card it is it is identified based on my credit card number or my loyalty number but when i'm going uh, and downloading the app without necessarily logging in to the app with my personal details that identity of shobit is different and so as a brand as a retailer how do you link the two and that's where companies like near have done a lot of groundbreaking work in fact one of the patterns that we have is for our identity solution which allows retailers to be able to get a single unified view across multiple identities mm-hmm. so so that's the foundational stuff and then on top of that you then go to the next stage where you start to augment your first party data by doing enrichment to then understand what are these people doing when they are not in my store or not in my app and how can i get a better understanding of their lifestyle their behavior their preferences so if you think about that consumer journey right from discovery all the way to transaction buying advocacy loyalty being able to understand where are those different stages happening is discovery happening in the store is discovery happening in the, on my app on my social media channels and and that's that's going to be very different for every individual and for a brand to be able to understand that and then use that intelligence to feed into their marketing strategy um, advertising strategy is is very very important i think that's where we are doing a lot of work a lot of retailers that are heavily investing in this space and and ultimately in the next few years you're going to see that as a consumer your buying experience is going to be far more evolved and sophisticated than uh, than it is today and the privacy is a big concern for many retailers what should retailers be conscious of here how are you tackling that issue is is the retail industry on track when it comes to data privacy do you think in our experience they are also because retailers uh, historically have handled a lot of sensitive personal information people are they are capturing and and maintaining the transaction records of their consumers so this is handling sensitive personal data is is not something that is new what certainly is new in a market like australia for instance is, is the privacy laws and landscape is is evolving quite fast and in fact this year we are expecting to see more of the regulatory updates come on privacy we have been operating in in the us and europe for a few years now and we are we are compliant for instance with gdpr so the 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 basic principle that we uh, we operate on is we make sure that the data is consent based upstream we are deriving the appropriate consent from the end consumers we are also giving them the opportunity to know that they have given us consent and at the at the same time giving them the opportunity to opt out and honoring that opt out by purging the data if you choose to opt out as the end consumer we will you know we will delete the data and we are seeing whenever we are having conversations with retailers privacy is certainly something that comes very much early on in in the discussions as to what is possible what is something that we sh- we would advise them not to do and and retailers are as conscious if not more conscious than us about privacy so um so it's something that we are seeing that they are they are embracing and they are making sure that they are putting all the appropriate investments in place to make sure that they are honoring consumer privacy Now loyalty is another key focus area what trends are you seeing here what retailers do you think are doing this best So this is this is an interesting question because it links to a a more macro change that we we think that organizations are going to have in the in the coming years 
which is that marketing as a function, marketing and advertising as a function historically used to operate in silos. If you think about it, they, they, they were the guys that had a lot of the budgets and they would deploy it historically on television and radio and then subsequently on, on digital. And loyalty teams were part of marketing, but again, they were they were sort of these uh, product or technology guys who were managing and maintaining their, their CRM systems. It's now a lot of this is, is getting very gray and, and the lines are starting to blur because as someone that's managing the loyalty database, you need to now start thinking about how do you deploy that more effectively in the overall marketing and advertising stack. You need to also think about how do you make this data as holistic as possible. Not ju- you're not just relying on the data that you're that you're getting as a brand, but also augmenting that with other sources. And then finally, how do you make this available in a privacy compliant manner across the organization so that it's not just sitting in one place and it's, it's being used in a very tactical manner? That data is it's a golden mine and you need to make it available in a, in a seamless manner across the org, not just the marketing team, but also to the technology team, to the data teams. Yes. And that's one of the challenges that we are, we are seeing, which we need to overcome as an industry, as an ecosystem, which is how do we make this data more seamlessly available without having to compromise it on privacy? Now that, I think that's that's where there's a significant opportunity. Absolutely fascinating. Now, looking ahead, Shabit, what's next for NIA? One of the most exciting things, and you've got to be living under a rock or be a complete Luddite to not have noticed what AI has done and what is happening with chat GPT and DALI. We are at this really exciting time where I believe that we are going through a platform shift. It's similar to what happened with the internet and then subsequently with mobile. And, and I think we are going through this revolution where AI is going to have a significant impact on various facets of life. The thing that is starting to dawn on many of us is that in order for you to train your AI models, the most important thing that you need is good quality and proprietary data. If the data is not good, and and we've seen enough examples of that already with ChatGPT, if the data is not good, if the data is not clean, if it has biases, then the machine is only as good as the input. Um, so we feel that there is a significant opportunity there. The market that Near operates in is, is, you know, a total addressable market is about $23 billion. And so there is a significant headroom for us to grow. We recently went public. That brings a lot of credibility, not just to Near, but also to this industry, you know, data intelligence industry. And we feel there is there is a long road ahead of us. We have done a couple of acquisitions. So we'll continue to be acquisitive. We'll continue to make investments in technologies and companies which we feel can be the right partners for the future. So we are very excited and the, the future looks bright. And I think the next five, 10 years, the world is going to change for the better. So we're looking forward to playing a role in that. Yeah, very exciting times. Now, thank you, Shobit, for joining me on Retail Therapy in the Amex Lounge. Congratulations on your successes. Absolutely phenomenal. And all the best for the future. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Therapy, brought to you by our season partner, American Express. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you give the show a follow on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you're a new listener, you can find our back catalogue of episodes on our website. We've covered leadership, small business and sustainability. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. Founded by Umberto Somma in 1962, Paisanella is an Italian food emporium and cheese manufacturer based in the Marrickville suburb of Sydney, now run by Umberto's two sons, Max and Joe. Today I'm speaking with Joe Somma. Joe, welcome to the Retail Therapy Podcast here in the American Express Lounge. Hi, Paul. Thank you so much for having me today. 
Your father, Umberto Somma, founded Paisanella as an Italian cheese manufacturer in 1962. What has the business growth story looked like since then? Uh, yes, yeah, so long story short, Dad started the business back in 1962, arrived in Australia as an immigrant on his own um, with a few shillings in his pocket and, um, you know, basically worked a few jobs and thought, you know what, there's no real good cheese around this place and um, thought, I'm going to start making cheese, which he did. And he started making uh, his fresh cheeses on the side of the um, Hawkesbury River out of um, out of Windsor and, um, you know, making the cheese for the local Italian community and um, set up his little factory in Marrickville. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're still working out of that uh, premises today, uh, manufacturing the actual cheese. Uh, but we have relocated the retail store down in Marrickville Road um, with our cafe as well, so it makes it easier for clients and customers to come and visit. That's a fascinating story, Joe. Now, Paisanella is now an inner city or in a West Sydney institution. People come from miles around to sample your wares with your famous hot ricotta, sounds delicious, being a particular crowd pleaser. How do you keep your customers coming back again and again? Um, Paul, yeah, good question. But it, essentially, it's our it's our quality product. Um, I have customers that I see today that are the sons and daughters of the fathers that used to come, you know, when dad was around and uh, who are still coming today to buy the cheese. So, um, you know, my brother, who's also in the um, manufacturing, he does a production. He's always making sure that the product is cons- consistently consistent and of high quality, and hence why we always have those customers coming back. Now, you've been involved in American Express Shop Small for some time, and in 2022, you were invited to the Shop Small Parliamentary Showcase, where you travelled to Canberra to meet with the nation's leaders to rally further support for the movement. Now, what benefits did this bring for Paisanella? Oh, look, that was a fantastic experience to meet some of the leaders involved in um, small business and being able to um, it just explained to them some of the uh, impacts of high um, price rises or, you know, cost of living can affect the business. And um, But in terms of saying that, you know, we're still persevering and, and, and still being able to run even through, you know, periods like COVID. We, we've, you know, been sort of, you know, very fortunate that we can still go through that period and still, you know, run a family business. Well, thank you, Joe, for joining me here on the Retail Therapy Podcast here in the American Express Lounge. All the best for the future. Thank you so much for for having me.